Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. Amen. How many of you are excited for resurrection season? Man, it's going to be great. Please use the opportunity to invite your friends, your neighbors. My wife has started to invite our neighbors to church on Palm Sunday. Well, I'm so happy to be here this morning. I'm glad that you are here. And we're going to continue our Learn, Live, Give series. And in this final segment, we want to focus on an area of personal application for you. Last week, Pastor Toledo preached on learning the gospel. And today, I want to speak to you about living the gospel. We learn the gospel so we can live the gospel so that we can then give the gospel. How many of you, if you, by show of hands, or would confess that you are guilty of the do as I say, not as I do, particularly for those of you who have children, yes? We say to them, you know, make your bed, eat your vegetables and your fruits. And in my case, with a 17-year-old who's learning to drive, drive at the speed limit. These are things that you say, yes? But sometimes there's a disconnect between what we say and what we actually do. And if we're not careful, the same can happen with the gospel, where we can learn the gospel, we can know what the gospel is, but are we living it? Does it influence our daily living, the choices that we make, the things that we do or thinking? Does the gospel of Jesus Christ impact on how we live? And I want to submit to you today that living the gospel is essential. It's an essential ingredient to our being effective believers of Christ Jesus. Amen. We have essential vitamins and minerals, and these are important for life. Living the gospel is also essential. But I also want to submit to you that above any sermon, including this one, or any word of prophecy that you can get, Living the gospel, living a consistent, godly life is powerful. Amen. And a church that lives the gospel, believers that live the gospel, we are a threat to the enemy. Amen. And so today, I want us to look at living the gospel. Last week, Pastor Toledo shared this text from Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the consequences of sin, the pay of sin. You know, there's always, there are always consequences. You know, I say to my son, life is full of consequences. Well, life is full of choices, and choices have consequences. So we choose what? Wisely. There are always consequences. And so the wages of sin, the consequence of sin, that which we say, we do, we think, that does not please God, the consequence of that is death. Not just physical death, but a spiritual death. Death being separation from God for all eternity. Yes, we will all die. How many know that we're going to die? One day, we will die. For those of you who don't know it, take note. We all have an appointment with death. But there is a second death, as we learned last week, there is a second death. 
And that death is separation from God for all eternity. You know, I marvel at some people, well, I don't believe in God. You know, we're just going to party in hell. Well, guess what? There is no partying in hell. If heaven is a place of joy, if heaven is a place of fellowship and joy and abundance in the presence of God, well, guess what? Hell is going to be very difficult. I believe that in hell, people are going to be alone and alone for all eternity to the point where you wish you could die. But the Bible says where the wormwood does not die. God doesn't want any of us to experience that kind of death. The wages of sin is death. And I love this conjunction. It says, but, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a free gift. And if I were to bring a gift in here and I, was to, I were to present it to you, you have two options. You either reject it and say, no, thank you, Pastor Tim. I'm good. Or thank you so much. You're not going to bargain for it. You're not going to go into your wallet and no, it's a gift. And we either accept the gift or reject it. And the Bible tells us it's a gift that is freely given. It is given to everyone who would bow their heads, who would bow their hearts, who would acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ and accept that Christ is the one who can own, he's the only one who can save. It says it's a free gift of God. Not of man, not of my mother, my father, my neighbor, my boss. It's a gift of God. And because it's a gift of God, anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus can receive this gift. So, beloved, the good news is there is redemption for our sin. There's a way that we can have eternal life, and it's through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. How many of you are grateful for the gospel? How many of you today are thankful that we know the gospel, that we've experienced the gospel? Now, we encourage to not just know the gospel, but to live the gospel. And in the book of Philippians, the Paul, the writer, he writes from a Roman jail, and he writes to the church at Philippi. Now, this was a church that loved Paul. This was a church that supported Paul. They understood that he was in jail and he needed help. And so they sent a young man by the name of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus took money, and he encouraged Paul, who was no stranger to hardship. But in this particular instance, as you read the letters, you read Philippians, Paul almost despairs for life. He's been in jail before, but this time Paul was questioning, I'm not sure that I'm going to get out. Execution is possible at any moment. And we all know that Paul was beheaded in Rome. And so here he was in this jail, and he was writing to the church at Philippi to encourage them to press on, to encourage them to keep on in the faith because there was pending persecution that was coming to the church. And so Paul wanted to be sure that they were going to remain steadfast, that they were not going to give up. And while he was in prison, there were those who rejoiced in the fact that, oh, here's the great apostle Paul who's now in jail. And Paul says, but they continue to preach the gospel nonetheless because now Paul is off the scene. Now here's my chance to be in the limelight. Here's my chance to deliver the gospel. Everybody's hailing Paul. But now that he's in jail, it's my opportunity to take the mic and to be in the pulpit and to proclaim the gospel. And Paul says this, it doesn't matter to me. 
if we, as a result of my change, the gospel is being preached, that's all I care about. Amen. And I'm so thankful that the gospel of Christ Jesus continues to be preached despite my change. Some people use it for evil, but I thank God that Christ is being preached. Amen. And in that writing, Paul, he almost brings us into his thinking. He's musing out loud. And he says, you know what, I don't... No, I have a bit of a conflict. If I continue to live, it's for your sake and it's for your good. But if I die, I will be with Christ. And I'm having a struggle. I don't know what, like, for me to live is to your benefit, but for me to die it's a good thing because then all the trials, all the difficulties, all the hardships, all the persecution will be over. And Christ, Paul says, you know what? I'm torn. And then tucked away in this writing is this verse. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Given all of what he says, he says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Above all, of most importance, the thing that's important most, above all, I want you to live as citizens of heaven. Not of earth, but of heaven. I want you to have an eternal perspective as you live your life. You know, Esther and I lived in Barbados for a number of years. But even though we lived in Barbados, we remained U.S. citizens. And we still had obligations as citizens of the United States of America. Our geographic location did not change our status. And there are certain expectations that the government has of us as citizens. And one of those obligations is what? Paying our taxes. So guess what? We had to file taxes even though we lived in Barbados. Uncle Sam will find you. He wants his cut. And so as citizens of this land, living in another land, we filed our taxes every year because that was an obligation, obligation of a citizen. Paul is saying that your citizenship is in heaven. You live on earth, but your, your passport says heaven. And so everything you do, your transaction, your perspective, how you interact, it must be based on the fact that that is where your citizenship lies. We live on earth. But as citizens, Paul says this. He says, knowing that your citizenship is in heaven, live a life worthy of the gospel. Live in such a way, walk in such a way that your life brings honor and glory to Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. That is how we're to live. That's how we're called to live, beloved. And the notion of the word worthy, it's, it's the idea of balancing, balancing scales. The blessing, the favor of God in our lives, our living must be commensurate with what Christ Jesus has done for us. And it's not, okay, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. God has given me a place in heaven. I have this, but I live however I choose. Paul is saying, no, we cannot be out of balance. We must live worthy. The scales must be balanced. 
And so Paul calls us to live worthy of the gospel. The gift of God, the blessed hope of eternal life should influence our daily transactions and behavior. That's great, Pastor Tim, but how do we live the gospel? Well, I'm so glad you asked. And I just want to focus on three areas here that I believe that as we internalize them, that they become part of the fabric of who we are, that we would be those who live the gospel on a daily basis, in every circumstance, in every situation. This is what Paul writes in Colossians. We live the gospel, we live the gospel by faith. That is how we live. We live the gospel by faith. See what Paul writes in the book of Colossians. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. How did we receive Christ Jesus? How did we come to the knowledge of Jesus? It was by faith. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We may not have all the answers. As a matter of fact, we may have none of the answers, but something in our heart tells us that God has all the answers. God knows what is best for me. And so I do not rely on my understanding. I rely on the one who has called me. And Paul says that just as you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, it was by faith. You believed in the power of the resurrection. You believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. And Paul is saying, just as you started this walk, so continue that walk every single day of your life. It started by faith, continue it by faith. It will end by faith, beloved. In Hebrews it says, let us keep our eyes on Jesus. What? The author and the perfecter of our faith. So when we live the gospel, we live by faith. We live trusting in the one who has called us, trusting that he has the answer to every solution, every problem that we have, every need that we have. The Lord has the answer. And just as we planted our faith in him at the beginning, he calls us to walk by faith every single day. It is our faith. It is not our resources. It's not our bank account. It's not our intellect. It's not our influence. It's none of those things. But faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Who came to Jesus with a deal? How many of you came and you say, you know what? I'm a good person. I'm bringing this to the table. And as a result, I should be saved. Not one of us. We came empty handed, we came broke. We were dependent on God. And Paul is saying, just as you began in dependence, so continue depending on God. For he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
It's not going to be our resources. It's not going to be anything that we can do. But it is faith in Christ Jesus. It's dependence on him. You know, again, pardon the personal reference, but we relocated from Barbados. Esther had her law practice. I worked at the registrar at a university. And we live in a place where it was 80 degrees every year. I could use that about now. <laughs> and a few months back, I started a conversation with my dear friend and our beloved pastor, Pastor Toledo. And that conversation led to another conversation, led to another conversation. Fast forward, here we are. But during that process, as some people that we invited into the process, there were some people who said, not Chicago. And one person point blank said to me, do not take your black 16-year-old boy to Chicago. Because of all the stories, because of all the drama about gangs and shootings and this, that, and I was like, I don't believe that this is God. But we prayed. And while it wasn't completely clear, I didn't know that God would give me such a wonderful family like you. And I am so grateful. I am so grateful that I trusted him. You've truly become my brothers and my sisters. And it, was, it took a step of faith. And if we were to live the gospel, if we were to live for God, we had to take that step. And like I said, I'm so grateful for all that God has done and is doing in us because I got to meet you. And you've become my family. But just as it's faith, it's also dependence. We have to depend on him. Beloved, it's not your bank account that's going to rescue you. It's not going to be the people that you associate with or whom you know or where you've been. It is Christ Jesus himself. Amen. So may we walk with that dependence on God. Do you know that 70% of the people who win the lottery are broke five years after. Imagine winning millions of dollars, mega ball, power ball, whatever ball it is. <laughs> after five years, they're flat broke. And some are even in worse positions because they made friends, then they had money, and then they realized that those friends really weren't friends, and then they're more depressed than when they had the money. So it's not going to be our money. It's not going to be, well, you know what? If my bank account was just like this, then all will be well. I want to tell you no. Yes, do we need money? Absolutely. But it's not what we depend on. We depend on the one who supplies our every need. We depend on the one who gives us everything that we need. George Mueller in the 1800s, moved from what was then Prussia to England, and he looked after orphans in Bristol, England. It's believed that he looked after some 10,000 street children. They were called Victorian street urchins. Children who were poorly clothed, some of them no clothes, hungry, cold, and Mueller took those children in and he cared for them. And through his labor, many of them came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
But Mueller wasn't a wealthy man. And every day, he depended on God to provide for the needs of the orphanage. One story was told where they sat down to dinner. Well, excuse me, they sat down. It was dinner time, they sat down. And there was no food. And he said to the children, you know what? Let's join hands around the table. Let's pray and thank God for our meal. And some of the children are probably looking at him and says, you know what? I think Mr. Mueller fell and hit his head today. <laughs> there was no food. But he was thanking God for the meal that he would provide. And then after that prayer, there was a knock at the door. And someone had brought enough food to feed the entire orphanage. And that's how he lived his life. Here's what someone said of Mueller. Mr. Mueller literally fed the orphans out of God's hand. The supply was almost like that of the manna in that it was to be gathered each day afresh. There was scarcely anything left over from one day to another. Often money had to be prayed in before breakfast could be eaten or the evening meal finished. But Mr. Mueller's faith was so dominant that however much they needed, he rested calmly in the divine assurance that God's hand would contain a bounteous supply when the moment arrived. He and worry parted forever. I love that. He and worry parted forever. Though he was deeply concerned, he never fretted at delay in receiving answers to his requests. He never fretted because he depended on a God who's able to supply all our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And beloved, when we walk, when we walk by the gospel, when we live the gospel, we walk in total dependence on God. Amen. And let me say this, that dependence, where we see evidence of God working in our lives, meeting our needs, we can then trust God to meet greater needs. We can then trust God for that loved one, for that aunt, for that uncle, for that wayward child. We can then trust God. If God will provide bread, will he not save the souls of men? I say yes. I say yes. I say yes. I say yes. So when we live in dependence, it strengthens our faith. And we trust God to see great things, to do great things. Love is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the very root of the gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. But God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that God, that Christ died for us. So when we live the gospel, beloved, we walk in love. God has showed us such great love. The love of God provided mercy and forgiveness. The love of God does not keep, did not keep records of our wrong. The Bible says that what? Our sins were thrown where? Into the sea 
of forgetfulness. God does not remember. He's cast our sins. The Bible says he separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. Why? Because of his great love. And so he calls us, beloved, that when we walk, when we live the gospel, we walk in love. A love that is readily to forgive. You may have heard of this story. It was featured on CBS a few years ago of Mary Johnson. And Mary Johnson's son, Larimer, was shot at a party. He was 20 years old. And he was shot by O'Shea Israel, who was 16 at the time. And when she got the news that her son was killed and that he was at the morgue, she said she just went cold. And O'Shea was sentenced to 25 and a half years in prison in Minnesota. And Ms. Johnson said that for the better part of two years, she was just bitter, bitter and angry. Her 20-year-old son, her only son, having been gunned down. And then through the providence of God, she either received a poem or scripture, and she began to think about this young man, what his life was like. And through a series of queries and events, she went to prison to sit face to face with the man who took her son's life, by which time he was, he was a man. And she looked him in the eye, she says, I don't know you, you don't know me. You killed my son, my only son. But I'm here to tell you that I forgive you. And that interaction began a series of meetings over the years. And when O'Shea was about to release from prison, Ms. Johnson went to her landlord and she says, you know what, there's a young man that I know and he needs a place to stay. Could you find him an apartment? And the landlord says, Ms. Johnson, if you can vouch for him, absolutely. And so when O'Shea came out of jail, he lived close to Ms. Johnson. So close that he lives in the apartment right next to her. They share meals. She treats them like the son that she lost. When we walk in love, beloved, when the love of God fills our hearts, there's nothing that we can do. No one is too far gone. There's no one on the planet that we cannot forgive. And I recognize that in an audience like this, there's some of you who've been hurt. There's some of you who have been disappointed. There's some of you who are in pain because not of your own doing, because someone in your past hurt you. And I want to encourage you today to forgive. I want to encourage you like Ms. Johnson to take that step and say, God, I don't quite understand it all, but just as you forgave me, I forgive this person and leave it to God. Leave it to him. He will sort it out. But when we live the gospel, we walk in love. The love of God that so took you and I. We were wretches. We were without hope, but yet God loved us. 
And because He loves us, beloved, He's called us to love. 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 So may the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts be manifested through us every single day. It's by His grace. But as we open our hearts and we we determine, God, I want to live the gospel, He will then give us the grace to walk in His love. So why? why? Why do we live the gospel? There is a world that God wants to reach through you and through me. Paul writes this in the book of Corinthians. But thanks be to God, for in union with Christ, we are always led by God as prisoners in Christ's victory procession. God uses us to make the knowledge about Christ spread everywhere like a sweet fragrance. Those who are being saved and those who are being, excuse me, for we are like a sweet smelling incense offered by Christ to God, which spreads among those who are being saved and those who are being lost. It says that we are the sweet fragrance of Christ. And beloved, if we're living the gospel, people should ask us why our life is different. Living the gospel brings life. It brings life to the people around us. And our aroma should be manifested everywhere. Where there is doubt and despair, we should spread the aroma of hope. Where there is confusion and disarray, we should spread the aroma of faith. And where there's hatred, beloved, we should be the aroma of love. Why? Because we are the fragrance of Christ Jesus to a world that is decaying. I know the thing about an aroma is that it doesn't need permission. It is what it is. The fragrance is there. We don't say, well, you know, I give you permission to fill the room. The room is filled automatically, regardless of the circumstances. And I said, you know what? Imagine you uh, bake cookies. You have the smell of chocolate chip cookies. It doesn't matter that you're on a diet. It fills the room. It doesn't ask your permission. The cookies don't say, well, you know, are you on a diet? No. It fills the room. And then the choice is yours whether you eat them or whether you rebuke them. (laughs) But an aroma doesn't seek permission. And so too, we, when we walk into the room, we don't seek permission because it's in us. And Christ pours out of us. We are the sweet fragrance of Christ Jesus. You know, there is a brother in our church. I'm getting to know him. I love him. And he grew up in a home that was, let's just say dysfunctional. His dad was an alcoholic. And at age 14, his dad split. And said, you know what? 
I'm out. You're the oldest boy, take care of everyone else. And so he began to hustle. It's like my dad was gone. He began to hustle and he went to the street and he did drugs, he sold drugs. He joined a gang, he said it was like a mafia. They had all kinds of deals going and he just had to fend for his family. And then his younger brother, innocent as he was because of his age, he could, if he got caught with the drugs and it was easy, you know, less of a charge and his brother would sell drugs for him. And he got money and that's the way they survived. And he did lots of things we wouldn't get into at all, but he ended up being sentenced to jail. And he went off to jail and he said, Pastor Tim, when I was in jail, I was terrified because I was a gang when I was outside. I was in the gang when I was in the jail. And people, I always was, I was always looking over my shoulder. I had no peace. I would lay in my silence. Well, is somebody going to break in? Am I going to be killed today? And he was tormented. But that little brother, before he went to jail, gave his life to Christ. And that little brother would pray for him, would love him, even when he wanted nothing to do with God. Because, you see, his dad abandoned his family. And men, we are the representation of God to our children. So we're talking about living the gospel, how we live impacts on our children, it impacts on our loved ones. And for him, God had abandoned him. So this God you're talking about, I'm not so sure. But he said one thing he could not deny was the transformation in his brother. He was peaceful. He would love him, he would pray for him. But he said the thing that struck him was the peace that was on his brother's life. He went off to jail, his brother would come visit him and he says, every time, the thing that marked me so much was the peace on this young man. And it got to the point where he was so tormented, he, he's like, God, I want that. Whatever he has, I want that. Whatever it is, God, I'm not gonna die in this place, I want that. And he opened his heart and he surrendered his life to Jesus and he's here today he is a tremendous witness for Jesus if you ran into him you wouldn't know who he is but he loves God just as much as I love God just as much as you do but guess what it was his brother who lived the gospel before him it was his brother who was that example of love of joy and of peace that caused a drug dealer a former gang buyer to turn and say I want what you have Beloved, think of what our living the gospel can do. But here's the thing. The younger brother had met a girl, and she was a believer. And she was the one who influenced him. Think of it. But think of the person who probably influenced her. We don't know the impact that our lives will have if we live it in complete surrender to Jesus, if we are living consecrated, dedicated lives, if we live the gospel, beloved, there's a world out there that's waiting for you and I to spread the aroma of Christ Jesus. Would you live the gospel? God has called us to live the gospel. He's called us to live the gospel. 
You know, William Tom said this. Be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible some person ever reads. Be careful how you live. You and I may be the only Bible someone will read for a good long while. But when they read our lives, Paul says we're, we're a letter written. When they read our lives, when they look at our lives, may they grasp the fact that God loves them, that God has a plan for them, that God cares for them. May men experience the love of God as we live the gospel.